Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 23 of the Footmarks Podcast. I'm your host, Bairam Kazi. You can find me at Def Mango on Twitter. And with me, as always, is Jared Kimber. You can find him everywhere. Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this football season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of statistics, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and an enormous selection of players and stat options are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million football fans who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/get100 and use code GET100. That's code GET100 at prizepicks.com slash get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Today, our topic is ODI World Cup upsets, which I'm going to call ODI World Cup sets. That's the title of this show. Oh, nice, nice graphics over there. I mean, the listeners will never get to see this, but Jared just glowed in different <laughs> colors. Anyway, Jared, let's start with the ongoing World Cup. The Netherlands defeated South Africa for two World Cups in a row, but the first time in ODI World Cups. And then Afghanistan mm. have defeated both England and Pakistan. I mean, you could probably argue that the other one, the Pakistan game, wasn't an upset. But either way, these are huge results for both countries. And yeah, I mean, they were convincing wins. They weren't just wins in which they scraped through. They absolutely dominated the opposition for huge chunks of the game. So which team do you think pulled off the bigger upset over here? It's, that's a very interesting call, actually, because <laughs> I don't know. I mean, at the moment, South Africa is the best team. So Netherlands beating South Africa should be the biggest upset, mm. shouldn't it? But having said that, you know, Afghanistan have beaten the reigning champions. Yeah. Um, and have beaten their bogey side. Mm-hmm. Is it fair to call Pakistan their bogey side? Well, definitely the side that they want to beat most. So that's big for that, them. I suppose that that's hmm. a good way of putting it. Yeah. Uh yeah, no, it's it's quite interesting. I don't I don't really know where, which way to go. Um I, I love World Cup upsets and mm. they are, you know, it's kind of one of my pet subjects. Mm. Um, you know, going back all the way. In fact, I said to you, uh, you wanted to do this podcast. And I was like, oh, you know, I don't know if I'll be able to remember it. And then I gave you like every single one virtually <laughs> off the top of my head, right? Because, you know, when I was growing up, that was, you know, most sports have major upsets and we don't have, we don't have them in the same way in test cricket. Yeah. Right. And 
the World Cup always allowed for that. And, you know, uh, the Zimbabwe-England game in, mm. uh, I'm sure we'll talk about all these games, but, you know, that even in Sri Lanka winning, the, arguably the biggest upset, of course, is mm. Sri Lanka winning the World Cup in 1996 or India in 83. But, you know, those individual games and what they do and what they mean for the sport. And, you know, as someone who's written about Kenyan cricket a lot, for instance, mm-hmm. and Scottish cricket and worked in Scottish cricket and Irish cricket, you realise what these games mean to those people. Mm-hmm. They can mean the difference between not having a cricket team um, and feeling like you're part of the club. And it really is that stark. Um, and, you know, the best case example of that, of course, is Denmark, who never quite made it to the World Cup. Mm-hmm. Had they made it to two or three World Cups, they probably would have beaten someone um, and they would have been in a situation where it could have kick-started everything. So th- why I was always fascinated with World Cups upsets is that Sri Lanka got test status from it. Zimbabwe got test status from it. Ireland got test status from it. It, they Bangladesh got test status from it. Yep, they are so important to the history of our game, mm-hmm. even if they're just one-off events. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think ODI World Cup upsets or cup sets count for more because you know Test cricket barely sees any upsets, right? Because over the course of five days and four innings, the better team almost always wins, right? It kind of ensures that that happens. And T Twenty is easier to cause an upset in. So ODI cricket is really where it's at for me. And I guess when you're just looking at those two, Netherlands and Afghanistan. I think I would give it to the Netherlands because they defeated the West Indies coming into the tournament as well, right? They leveled their score of 374 odd and then Logan van Beek smashed 30 runs in the Super Over and then took two wickets when he came to bowl, which is perhaps the best 11-ball run in all of cricket ever. So my vote goes to the Netherlands. I mean, them getting past Zimbabwe, who were playing great Mm -hmm. cricket, uh, Ireland was in that tournament as well, yep. right? Scotland. There was a lot of teams who were good at that stage. They played fantastic cricket. So yeah, them getting to the World Cup is an upset mm-hmm. um, in itself. That doesn't mean necessarily the West Indies game was an upset, although they had to come back from a long way. It was, yeah. It's a remarkable game. Hmm. But th- that whole thing was an upset and no one expected that. And then they don't have a great team for Asian conditions. Hmm. They played really good cricket. And then they beat South Africa, who were either second or third best team on form at that stage. It's been a remarkable, you know, a few months or however long it's been um, since they played in those qualifiers. Oh, well, since Um, they defeated South Africa in the T20 World Cup. I'm going to take it all the way back to that point. Yeah. Yeah. No, Um, no, definitely. So, no, I think you're right. Um, And also, the conditions favour. I know those particular conditions were slightly more in the favour of of the Dutch maybe than some of the others. But the conditions favour Afghanistan a little bit more, Mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, um, so I think that's fair. Yeah, no, absolutely. And speaking of big upsets, uh, the 2007 World Cup saw two big ones. Ireland knocked out Pakistan and Bangladesh knocked out India off like the preliminary stage. So those teams didn't even qualify for the Super 8 stage. And then in the Super 8 stage, Bangladesh defeated a very, very strong South African team. No one had them as winners in that game. Like it was probably a great game to bet on. And then also Ireland then defeated Bangladesh. So I'd say the first two upsets, India and Pakistan, you could make an argument that probably in the history of World Cups, those are the biggest two upsets in terms of broadcasting money lost. <laughs> They're the most expensive yeah. um, upsets in cricket history. <laughs> the It was funny, Simon Hughes was on, they've, they've done this thing on, uh, on um, the ICC where they went around and they filmed, I think Sunset and Vine did this for them, mm. filmed a bunch of weirdly old English journalists and a lot of those are my friends. Mm. Shout out to John Norman and Rory Dollard, George <laughs> Dubell, whoever else is on it, Nick Holt. Um, but I thought it was a bit weird that they've got a bunch of English people talking about cricket from around the world and that they didn't get more uh, voices on that. But Simon Hughes called the India-Bangladesh one, unless I misheard, 
the biggest upset in in World Cup history. And I was like, it wasn't the biggest upset in that round. Yeah. Like, it, it's I think pound for pound, the Ireland beating um, Ireland beating Pakistan was the biggest upset we've ever seen. Yeah, we'll talk about the thing. other one. There's one in '96, which mm. is really really. We'll interesting come to as well. it. I've got a list of yeah. all of them. <laughs> I know, but the, the, I think I think. Ireland, Pakistan was just because by that stage we'd had, you know, Canada play some good cricket mm. and, you know, a few other teams play some good cricket. But Ireland wasn't really mentioned. Yeah. It wasn't, they weren't mentioned as a team, uh, you know, to upset anyone or anything like that. And I know there's a whole cloud over the game because of the Bob Woolmer thing and everything mm-hmm. else, but that also makes it even more dramatic, right? Yeah. You know, St. Patrick's Day, mm-hmm. uh, the speech. Have you ever seen the speech that I think it is that Trent Johnston gives in in the um, change rooms at halftime? I have not, the post- actually. It, there's a documentary called, I want to say it's called Batman. Batman? Batman? It's like a it's like a pun on Batman. Mm. I can't remember the the thing, but it's it's online, and it's behind the scenes access. Um, it's really really cool little thing. But the speech at halftime, where he's talking about you know what are we gonna, you know uh, we came all the way here. Do we want to go back to being postman and and carpet salesman and do you know whatever the mm. random jobs that they I mean, all it's had? Interesting, right? They all had not asked for that long a vacation. They had to go back home to their jobs and they had to extend their vacation, which was, I mean, that that shows you that this might be the biggest upset ever. <laughs> it, it was just, the whole thing was, I just think it seems so surprising. And it really, it's also, I think it's, I know this is going to be weird because I know we're going to talk about a lot of upsets. And I've already talked about ones that have led to test, uh, uh, you know, uh, tests. And that one didn't, right? It took them a while to get their their test status after that. But in some ways, that was the one of a non-Commonwealth country. Mm-hmm. I know it's a bit weird because of Northern Ireland, but, yeah. you know, in some ways a non-Commonwealth country who were once good at cricket but weren't really seen as a cricket nation, coming back, beating Pakistan, um, and then almost saying to cricket, what else is out there? Mm. And I don't think that was the case with Zimbabwe or uh, Sri Lanka yeah. or Bangladesh um, and those other teams. But I do think at that point that is kind of what Ireland did, right? They mm. just went. And, and it was so unlikely. So I, I think it's the most important upset ever. Hmm. It may not have had the biggest impact. It may not have changed cricket as, uh, in, in some ways as some of the others because there's some fantastic ones here. But I, I think it's the most important one because it took us from being, let's be honest, a 10-team sport. And it said, you can't be a 10-team sport anymore because you don't know what is out there. Yeah. And that, to me, is why it's the biggest one. And then you've got Bangladesh, India. Hmm. That is still huge, yeah. Right, uh, an absolutely massive one um, because financially, as we said, the most expensive upset in cricket history. Mm-hmm. It that actually ruined World Cups <laughs> because after that, we had to make sure that World Cups were run in a way that India and Pakistan played like a billion games, yeah, because they wanted to make their money. And that is, uh, it's terrible that our sport allowed for that, mm. but that is what happened. Yeah, that's actually true. The associates kind of got killed off because of. Ireland and Bangladesh knocking those guys out. And fun fact for everyone who might not know, we all may remember the O'Brien brothers from that Pakistan victory and uh, Trent Johnston, but Owen Morgan was playing in that game. I think he got cleaned up by Mohamed Sami or LBW by Mohamed Sami. He and didn't as make many, was, did he? Yeah, as was uh, Boyd Rankin, two guys who went on to play for England. Anyway, I want to roll back the clock a bit, right? We've talked about a few of the recent ones. Now let's go to the first ever World Cup upset that I came across. And it's in 1983, but it's not India. 
beating the West Indies because they did that twice that tournament. So I don't think that quite qualifies as an, as an upset. This, by the way, I'm going to have to stop you. This is not the first upset. You've forgotten one. I've forgotten one. Is there something in yep. 75 and 79? 79 is the first upset. What was it? And is the, I would say it's the upset that um, the, it's the first time that we realized that the World Cup is a thing. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because it's the upset that um, up until that point, like no one really expected any other team to ever do anything. Hmm. Um, and that upset is so important because it's when Sri Lanka beat India. Hmm. And because of that, they get test status. Ah. And because of that, they win the 20, uh, 20, 1996 World Cup. Um, so it's absolutely, I would say that is the first up. Nothing really happens in 1975. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, favorites didn't lose, but we're talking about really dramatic upsets, right? Mm. That's the one where Sri Lanka made 238, you know, it's a 60 over game, but a good solid total. Uh, I think most of their top order, um, uh, made runs and then they bowl, uh, India out for 191, uh, with Tony Opata. And uh, I think Somachandra, yeah, here he is. I'm just bringing up the scorecard. Somachandra De Silva takes three wickets as well. Um, all the Indian top order got starts, but uh, Sri Lanka just getting wickets. But that, without that win, hmm. we really don't have the Sri Lanka we have now. That doesn't mean they wouldn't have continued to develop, but that was just like, oh my, because they weren't in the, they were almost not in the 75 World Cup, hmm. right? In the 79 World Cup, the only reason we have a qualifier is because Denmark and the Netherlands, I think, both thought that Sri Lanka weren't strong enough to be in the tournament ahead of them. And that's why we ended up having qualifiers. And then Sri Lanka absolutely showed that they're not just good enough to qualify. So they become the first qualifier hmm. to win a game as well. Uh, so it's absolutely huge. But the 83 one is maybe more remarkable, but it has a different kind of impact. Yeah, just on the Sri Lanka one, I mean, you learn something new every day. I did not know all of that stuff. And that's absolutely phenomenal. I just did check. In 79, India went winless. So that's maybe how I just... They went you know? winless in that tournament and they won the next tournament. Yeah, that's that's crazy. You know? And I don't think Sri Lanka won many games in 92 and then won the next tournament. It's Both of those tournaments are bizarre. And then Sri Lanka exited in the group stage in 99 as well. So yeah, it's, it's all over the place. But 1983, the game that I was talking about was uh, Zimbabwe beating Australia. And Duncan yeah. Fletcher almost single-handedly, you know, flattened the Aussies. 69 with the bat and then 4 for 42 with the ball. And he went on to coach England and India. And England quite successfully, actually. Wasn't he the coach in 2005? Ashes? I think he yes. was. Yeah. So he's given the Aussies a, a few nightmares. But uh, yeah, I mean, you're probably not that old, right? When 83 was No, I, I wasn't old enough. Did your dad tell this. you stories about that loss to Zimbabwe? My dad hates one day cricket. Mm. And even though he actually watches it, he would never admit that he's watched it. So I wouldn't have even thought that. Would, I don't think that game was broadcast. Mm. Um, I know this. There might, there's not a, so the first three World Cups, not all the games are broadcast. Um, quite often they're playing four games in one day. Hmm. So I don't know how much of an impact that would have had other than a lot of Australians would have woken up in the morning and been like, we lost to who now? Yeah. Um, look, uh, the interesting thing about that is that they probably had one great, oh, great is maybe pushing it, but at one fantastic international level player, and that's Dave Houghton. Hmm. And he made a golden duck. And if I remember correctly, he made a golden duck and the Zimbabweans didn't think he was out. Ah. So they were furious and they were, I want to say, yeah, let's have a look. They were a 94 for five Wow! at that point when Andy Pycroft, the um, match referee, went out, mm -hmm. right? And then De and Duncan Fletcher just carries them um, with Kevin Curran and, and Ian Butcher. Wow. Two thirty nine. Andy Pycroft, Duncan Fletcher and Kevin Curran. Who, whoever doesn't know who Karen, Kevin Curran is, he's the father of Tom and Sam, the late father of Tom yep. and Sam. That's a lot of names. 
<laughs> exactly. And then this game's really, really interesting because what happens is Australia, Australia's batting lineup has Graham Wood, Kepler Vessels, David Hooks, Graham Yelp, Alan Border, Rod Marsh. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, every one of them is left-handed. So the only guy, yeah, just making sure that Yallop is as well. Um, uh, so the only guy that wasn't left-handed was David, uh, sorry, was Kim Hughes. Oh. And he made a duck, right? And what happened was Zimbabwe had two interesting players. They had Vince Hogg, mm-hmm. who bowled these little in-swingers. Mm-hmm. So he was swinging the ball away from the left-handers. And they had um, John Tracos. So, do you know about John Tracos? I've heard the name. He's a fantastically weird cricketer. I think... I, don't, I can't even remember what random country he was born in, John Tracos, but it's like, I want to say Egypt. Ah, that is um, And he had this, I'll see if I got that right. I did. Mm. Zazag, Zagazig in okay. Egypt he was born in. Um, he had this incredibly weird career because he played test matches for South Africa before mm. the apartheid ban and then came back and played for Zimbabwe. And a really good, strong spinner, you know, that sort of, Southern African type spinner, mm. you know, right, you know, a bit like a Simcox type of guy, you know. Yeah. Really, really good. But he's bowling to all these left-handers, right? And he doesn't take any wickets, I think, in that game, Bayram, if I remember. Uh, or is it just one? No, he doesn't take any wickets, but his 12 overs go for 27 runs, mm. right? Vince Hogg bowls his little in-swingers. He bowls six overs, two maidens, none for 15. And this is this is the Australian um uh, the Australian batting lineup: Graham Wood made 31 off 60. Kepler Vessels made 76 off 130. Kim, uh, sorry, uh, David Hooks made 20 off 48. Graham Yelp made two off 17. Hmm. Alan Border made 17 off 33. So essentially, all those left-handers couldn't get it off off the square until Hogg went off injured and Tracos, I think, finished his overs. And then Rod Marsh starts slogging the ball everywhere. <laughs> and who takes the wickets in that game? Do you remember? Duncan Flesher takes four, right? That's what you said before, mm-hmm. four for 42. So, and th- those were kind of, uh, I mean, I, I, not having a go at Fletcher, but, you know, it was because of the pressure that the other bowlers were putting on. Mm. And it's huge. Yeah, yeah. It's an absolutely, ma- and it's not the only huge upset in that World Cup because mm-hmm. in that same group, India beat uh, West Indies. And we just said the West Indies, uh, well, India hadn't won a game in the previous World Cup and the West Indies had not lost a game, I think, at this stage in the World Cup when India bowled them out. Something I think like that's that. right. Yeah. Um, and so India has, has a huge upset and Zimbabwe have, have a huge upset and then they obviously go off to play in the Rhododendron game um, with Kapil Dev. Yeah, um, that's an important one to remember because Zimbabwe would have won another game if not for Kapil Dev who smashed 175, which at that time was like huge. Yeah, and that would have been, I mean, they would have got instant test status hmm. if they'd won two games, right? Like, there's just no way. Especially if they'd beaten India, and India still would have got, I, I mean, you know, it wouldn't have changed the, the qualification. But if India still go on to win the final, and um, Zimbabwe beat them, and they beat Australia, surely that's it, right? Surely yeah. that's just, you have to play test cricket. Uh, we hadn't thought about it before, but you have to. Yeah, and I think Zimbabwe in itself was quite young at that time. They were Rhodesia not too long ago. So that would have been absolutely massive yeah. for them. Well, they played domestic cricket in South Africa. That's the reason that Zimbabwe, uh, you know, hadn't developed as quickly. A little bit mm. like Namibia of recent times. Interesting. All right, let's move on to 1996. Kenya meet the West Indies in the group stages and Kenya bowled out for 166. Everyone thinks it's going to be a regulation win for the West Indies, but they're rolled over for 93. And it is quite phenomenal. And I doubt a lot of people would remember this one, but this is really high up there in terms of World Cup upsets because the West Indies was still quite a decent team. They were semi-finalists in that tournament. Yeah, this is 96, isn't it? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, sorry, I'm just trying to get my head uh, around the, the years. So Kenya had got there a couple of days before and um, had a couple of days to acclimatise, and I think the West Indies got in the night before. Ah. And Kenya had an idea that the pitch might be a little bit dodgy hmm. and West Indies probably hadn't, hadn't paid as much attention, although they still bowled on it, so you can't say that they were completely caught unawares. The... Kenyan players thought that the West Indians hadn't taken it that seriously. Hmm. And even though they knew it was a low total, they knew it was a low total on a dodgy wicket and they just played magnificently. I would say, and it'd be interesting, you've now done the research, I would say that this is the biggest uh, upset as far as um, a team that had a realistic chance of winning a World Cup Hmm. was beaten by a team uh, from, from, from that point of view. So the island one is more important in some ways, but this is the one I was talking about before that I think might, you know, could certainly, you could argue that it was the, the biggest upset um, of all time. Certainly at that point in cricket, I yeah. would say, as Zimbabwe had been playing first-class cricket, um, you know, their players have been playing first-class cricket. Sri Lanka probably should have played test cricket 20 years earlier, mm-hmm. right? So they are slightly different situations, whereas with Kenya, we knew that the team, it, it's different than Ireland because we there was a thought that there was good cricketers in Kenya. Mm. Um, but, and they, and I suppose, does it count? Does East Africa count? I guess when it they does. Play East Africa. It's so Kenya they kind and four of other nations, but it's still Kenya. Yeah. <laughs> so they kind of, do you know what I mean? Mm. Whereas Ireland wasn't even kind of on that level, right? Yeah. Um, but you know, I think when you make 166 against what was still, th- this West Indies team was still one of the best one day teams in the world. They, mm. West Indies completely 83, 87, 92, 96 should have won another world cup. Mm. All right, certainly 83, but even one of the others, they should have been better than what they were. They've rolled out Kenya for 166. Um, and you have a look and the Kenyan quicks uh, did really well. Uh, I think it's Martin Suji, uh, um, you know, was nipping around a little bit. Uh, Rajab Ali, I think, was the other guy. And then you've got Asif Kareem, my man Asif mm, Kareem. Your man um, Asif Kareem. <laughs> eight overs, one for 19. Wow. Uh, and Adumbe, who's a part-timer. Up part timer, but you know, not a frontline bowler. Hmm. Uh, took three for fifteen, and the, the the weird thing about it is that they were what was it sixty seventy? Yeah, they were sixty five for six. So at no stage were they ever ever anywhere near hmm. winning this game. They were completely out of it from almost the beginning. And and if you're thinking, oh well, by that stage West Indies was getting wasn't as good. I just want to run you through Brian Lara. Shivnaran Chandrapal, Jimmy Adams uh, were all on that side. The Peak Richie Richardson? Peak Richie Richardson, I'd say. I think he was injured for that game. Ah. Uh, oh, no, 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 you're right. Sorry, he <laughs> opened. He opened. No, you're right. I forgot about Richie Richardson. Probably not peak. Hmm. Probably just beyond peak, but even so, Richie Richardson. And then the bowlers were Bishop, Ambrose, Walsh, right? Like, it was a team. Yeah. It was, they they had a well, you know, there's some holes in that team, especially in Asia. Um, but absolutely, that was just, that was mind blowing, hmm. and the thing about Kenya is that it's not even even what we remember them for in World Cups yeah, anymore. Because it's fast so remarkable. To, fast forward to two thousand and three, and Kenya defeat both Sri Lanka and Bangladesh. I mean, Bangladesh probably at that point is not an upset, but Sri Lanka definitely is. And sure, they got a walkover courtesy of New Zealand, but they qualified for the semi-finals. That's what people remember Kenya for. And I think Maurice Odombe and Steve Tickolo, they played both of those games, right? Back in 96 and in 2003. Asif Kareem as well would have been the other one, I would uh-huh. have thought. Um, I don't think anyone else did. I think, it, oh no, Martin Suji might have. There was a couple mm. of Sujis in, yes. um, uh, in the team. And I think 
t- both of them played in 2003. Hmm. Uh, but that wasn't the case in the in the earlier ones. Well, so, Steve yeah, Piccolo about- also played in 2011. That guy just never stopped playing. Uh, Steve Piccolo was a credible player. Hmm. And, and Steve Piccolo is one of those people that proves that cricket can develop outside of uh, outside of a good system, outside of a you know a Commonwealth country, outside yeah. of you know the the way because you put Steve Tickelo in a proper team and you grow him up correctly, um, and he's a fantastic player and he didn't have access to things like Dave Houghton um, did or anything like that and you know it, uh, I think in first class cricket he averages somewhere around fifty and I'm not saying he played a great level of first class mm-hmm. cricket or anything like that but he was a proper player. Um, and Odumbe was obviously as well. Um, I know, obviously, Odumbe had had trouble later in his career. Even you know Asif Karim, who I think misses the. Oh no, you're right. Asif Karim misses the Sri Lanka win. Yeah, I think he might have been in the Bangladesh win and was in the Australian game as well. But again, they make 210 in that game, hmm. and the guy who who takes their wickets. Do you remember who that was? I cannot recall. I don't think I looked at that scorecard. But that's right. That was Collins Aboya. Mm, I remember right? him. So that was 2003. Do you want to know what Collins O'Boya is doing now? Tell me. <laughs> Collins O'Boya um, played his last game for Kenya uh, in June. No way. This and I June. don't think he's retired, so I believe he's still playing. That's brilliant. So 20 years on from that World Cup, he's still playing. But do you want to get better? I just said he took a five-wicket haul. He got offered, I think, a county contract off the back of that World hmm. Cup because he bowled so good. He was a big, tall leg spinner. Ball came out of his hand beautifully, um, a little bit like Asama Mia, you know, a mm. slightly a taller kind of leg spinner, but sp- spins it a little bit more than, say, someone like Anil Kumble. Ah. He was so th- highly thought of that he it looked like he was going to have a really good career, and he got the yips. Mm. And when he came back to Kenya, he came back as a batter. Wow. And he's been, he's still bowling, he's just started bowling again over, well, st- started bowling well over the last couple of years. So just looking at his last five games for Kenya, he hasn't bowled. Um but he's played 104 ODIs, 59 T20 games, um, and just a fantastic career at Collins Aboya. And, and, you know, he's 43, 42 now. Hmm. Um, and uh, he he um, took five wickets. And I just want to, um, when I say he took five wickets, let's see who he, who he got out. He got Hashan Tillakaratna, he got Aravinda De Silva, wow. Mahela Jayawardner, okay. Kumar Sankakara, Chiminda Vas. <laughs> That's ridiculous. I mean, even Vars is a decent bat. Forget yep. the other all those, all those guys <laughs> could play. Yeah. And I actually think this is the weird thing is they beat Bangladesh, but I think they were a better team than Bangladesh at that point. Yeah. Um, and they probably should have been given test status around that point. Unfortunately, the, their story is horrendous, what, what ends up happening with them. But um, that, I, that was an incredible thing. As you said, they made the, the semifinal. But the, the game that is the most amazing one is the one against Australia. Do you mm. know about this one? In 2003? Yeah, yeah. A few teams gave Australia a run for their money in 2003, but somehow they always managed to win. I, I remember the England one, you know, Bickle went crazy. Yep. That's one. And then I think... Uh, versus, New Zealand. Yeah, New Pakistan Zealand Pakistan well. had a chance in Pakistan one of their Pakistan was going well before Andrew Simons happened to Pakistan. So, yeah. So, this game is remarkable. The, um, so, Kenya made 174 for eight. Mm-hmm. They actually did really well because I was at this game and I'm pretty sure Brett Lee gets a hat trick, like... Maybe the second over, fourth over, mm. right? So they lose, they lose three wickets in the fourth over, and you think, well, this is this is over, you know, I because I, it was everyone was really excited because there were all these African fans in the in the stadium, mm. South Africans obviously, but there were also a lot of Zimbabweans, and of course, South Africa and Zimbabwe 
had already were were already um, shot, I think, by that stage, right? Yeah. Um, South Africa uh, had the huge collapse against Sri Lanka, and then Zimbabwe had the the, um, the protests and everything mm. else. So Kenya was the African team doing the best, yeah, right? Because Namibia had been bowled out for about five against Australia by this point. So <laughs> it was in Durban. It's a hat trick in the fourth over. They Steve Tocolo and Hitesh Mondi um, did okay, and I think Ravi Shah got some runs in that one as well. They make one seventy four for eight, right? Mm-hmm. And Australia, so. Gilchrist comes out and he makes 67 off 43 balls. Okay. Now, do you remember I, I said Oboya was the star in this mm-hmm. tournament? Uh, Collins Oboya bowled six, eight overs for 62 in this game. Mm-hmm. And I remember Gilchrist hitting him out of Durban. Okay. Right? It might have been out of Kingsbeed, but it felt like <laughs> it was out of Durban. Okay. Right? And so they are racing. Um, they were 50 runs when they, Hayden went out in the sixth over and they were 50 runs. Gilchrist went out in the 12th over and they were 98 runs. Hmm. So they were 98 for two, chasing 174 for eight, right? So, so they need less than 100 runs to win um, and uh, they're in the 12th over. What over do you think Australia won the game? 47th. It's not quite that bad. Hmm. <laughs> it's the 32nd over, okay. right? A- Andrew Simons' strike rate mm-hmm. was 67. Wow. Right, Ian Harvey's strike rate was sixty-five, mm-hmm. and the reason was Asif Kareem. Uh, at one stage, I'm just trying to get the full numbers up. It, I, even though I've written about this a hundred times, and I should know about it off the top of my head. But Asif Kareem, uh, his total figures: eight point two overs, six maidens, three for seven. Wow! And he got Ponting. He rips one back. Uh, is it Ponting? He got. That he, he basically did a was. Phil Simmons on Australia. Yeah, except <laughs> like he was, he retired and came back mm. at that stage. Um, and it was absolutely one of the most remarkable things. And I think after was it six or seven overs, he'd gone for like two runs mm. and the Australians couldn't hit him. And so you've got Andrew Simons and Ian Harvey to absolutely, I think Harvey made the first hundred in a T20 game, I want to say. And Simon's obviously one of the most destructive forces of all time, literally blocking. So mm. not only did Kenya beat Bangladesh, not only did they then beat Sri Lanka, but they also, for a moment, thought they were going to beat Australia. It was just a ridiculous run from that team, of which at a certain point you're just like, I'm not even sure that all of those are upsets. They were such a well-organized team. Off the field, they were a complete disgrace, by the way. Mm-hmm. They almost didn't go to the World Cup because the Kenyan board wasn't going to pay them beforehand and they didn't trust the Kenyan board. Wow. That's how bad the whole situation was. But, yeah, just a, a remarkable moment in cricket history, really, that one. Yeah, I think they've gotten a good amount of airtime on this podcast as well. It's it's become an Asif Kareem stan podcast at this point, but we're going to... This is nothing for me. This is the <laughs> least amount of Asif Kareem I can mention in, in a World Cup upsets. Yeah, fair enough. Let's go back to 96. Of course, we fast forwarded to 2003 because of Kenya. But in 96, I think we need to talk about Sri Lanka. They did go on and win the goddamn thing. Yeah. They went unbeaten, even though there were two walkovers versus Australia and the West Indies. But they... Slayed some giants, you know, in the semi-final and final in particular, you know, when they beat India and Australia quite comprehensively. And you'd have to say that out of all the great sporting stories, you know, tournament stories, Sri Lanka 96 is right up there. Yeah, I mean, is it, who is it? Um, Is it Uruguay won the first football World Cup? Yep. But they were a good team back then, no? No, no, no. I'm not saying that. But I I think if you were coming into that tournament, you probably wouldn't have thought Uruguay were, were a shot. I know Tony Gregg was a big fan of Sri Lankan cricket hmm. and he had talked them up as a chance. 
And I had said to my friends that I thought their game would translate very well to Asia. Mm. But I don't think it, I mean, Tony Gregg was saying it at least in part because, you know, he had a relationship with Sri Lanka. Mm. Um, you know, he's getting kickbacks from, not kickbacks, that's the wrong way of putting it, but he had deals with the Sri Lankan government uh, mm -hmm. and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and it's all well and good me as a 16-year-old saying to my friends that, you know, if the way that they bat at the front and all these part-time spinners I have, they can be quite handy. No one really thought they were going to win. Um, the, the really interesting thing is that the openers don't work. I mean, Sanus yeah. Saria probably shouldn't be player of the tournament, mm. really, I think, if you if you delve uh, a little bit deep. Aravinda de Silva mm -hmm. was the player of the tournament for me. By if distance. you ask any Sri Lankan, I think they'd say the same thing. And it's remarkable that they had that power play bashing sort of template, right? They were one of the few teams who were doing it back then. They kind of were pioneers when it comes to that sort of style of play. But in the final, they lost both of those guys. But then No, 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 not in the final. Hmm. Go back through. Hmm. I don't think Romesh Kalu with Arana makes more than one score over 20. Mm -hmm. So they never had that start. I think Sanath ah. had two or three innings where mm -hmm. he might have done well on his own, but they never actually, the way that they were assembled didn't work. But their strength was just that, you know, Aravinda, um, uh, Guru Singha, mm -hmm. uh, Ranatunga, and I'm missing someone else. In Hashan? That uh, I think Hashan was there. Was he? I I um, I think Mahanama was low down. Mm. So they yeah. they had the ability to have proper batters down to number seven. I think mm. Russian Mahanama batted at seven in one game anyway. Maybe not all of them, mm. but they had proper batters. But they could do that because Ranatunga could get you about four overs of medium pace. Mm -hmm. um, Saria could bowl in those conditions. Could bowl ten overs, and Aravinda could quite often bowl ten overs as well. So. They had this incredible batting lineup. I want to say Chaminda Vas came in at nine or ten, perhaps. They had Upul Chandana, Chaminda Vas, uh, Murli, da and Damasina uh, could bat a little yeah, bit as well. Damasina was there, and also both of Atapatu and Hashan Telikaratne were there. So it's a decent team. Yeah. So, so uh, the, the the amount of depth that they had in that mm. batting lineup, which we weren't even thinking about stuff then, and it's not to say. I don't want to say no teams have done it. Um, England domestic teams were quite clever and, and we had seen other teams try it at times and it hadn't quite worked and everything else. So, so it's not like it was quite obvious that you want to bat to number 10 or 11 and just mm. let your, your batters go wild, but it didn't really work all that often and it didn't go the way that they wanted uh, uh, quite often. So we weren't really ready for it. Then you have the revolutionary openers. Mm. Um, then you have the, um, the you know, the strategies of the, the batters, the way their batters would go about things, the strike manipulation and everything else. They were just absolutely fantastic all the way through. But to think that they were a non-entity, really, mm. in I think I, I wanna I, I think I'm right in saying this, Bayram, that they had four wins in World Cups coming into that tournament, and they got five or six wins in that tournament. Yeah. As you said, two of the games uh, were walkovers because there'd been a terrorist attack mm -hmm. in um Colombo, where a bank had been blown up. Um mm -hmm. and so Everything was going on. It was a terrible time for Sri Lankan. I don't think any team's ever had a win at a more important time for them as a society than perhaps what Sri Lanka did. But uh, maybe what, 2009 T20 World Cup Pakistan. It was just that's a very Sri that's a good attacks. shout too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that's a good one as well. But everything came together for Sri Lanka at that stage, and it, I, I think it is probably the biggest upset only in. There's no way they enter that tournament with people giving them a realistic chance of winning it hmm. at all. And you can have a single upset, it's fine. Or you can even have Kenya's upset where you beat one team that you're about as good as, maybe you're good against Australia, and then you hmm. um, beat another team that is an upset. That's fantastic. Sri Lanka beat everyone. Yeah.
Sri Lanka didn't lose, right? It's not their fault that the walkover happened. I think that's right. Yeah. yeah, they didn't. I lose. think that's right. I think they didn't lose. They got the points from those walkovers, but I don't think it would have mattered. I think they would have qualified more or less the same anyway, even if they'd been drawn games. I think. Uh, I, I think, mean, they also had I'm an abandoned right. semi-final. <laughs> they won abandoned the semi-final, semi- but it was abandoned, right? Remember with the whole crowd situation. Oh, that's right. Oh my god, yeah. that's perfect. Yeah, so they didn't actually win. <laughs> So what is it? Did they play? They were supposed to play seven games in that World Cup. Yeah, and they actually only finish four games. I think this mm-hmm. is right. I think I'm getting my math right. I've completely forgotten about that because yeah. in the semi final, the Indian fans start to riot and they just call the game off. Mm-hmm. It's a- absolute. Some there's been some weird things in in the World Cup when you think about also the Australia, um, the Australia Sri Lanka final. Ah, where they had to play in the dark and the the yeah. dark. <laughs> then you have the 22 ball, 21 ball thing between mm. um, England and South. So there's been some really, really random ones that uh, that are completely out there. But yeah, so they didn't even finish <laughs> many of their games and they won the World Cup. That's an upset, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, let's go to 1999 now. Uh, Zimbabwe defeated India and South Africa, but that was a really, really good Zimbabwe team. So I don't mm. think those I- qualify. As upsets. I'm, I'm with you. I, they're upsets in that those teams were not the favourites. Hmm. The South Africa win, they beat South Africa, Zimbabwe, but South Africa had already qualified. Hmm. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that means nothing, but it, it's part of it. Um, and then, you know, Zimbabwe played really well against Australia. They played really well against India. They, yeah. they were quarterfinalists or they know Super 6 team? Yeah, su- Super 6 team with Super Neil eight? Johnson on steroids or something. Man went crazy. Um, but the big upset in this tournament was Bangladesh defeated Pakistan, who were actually one of the best teams in this tournament. You know, finalists mm-hmm. lost to Australia. And uh, quite convincingly, I think by 60-odd runs. And uh, that was really that watershed moment for Bangladesh cricket where they're on, they got test status. And maybe, you know, <laughs> if you look at it in terms of uh, gulf between two teams, this was a big one. It was. I mean, Bangladesh... So you need to tell the full story about mm. this this 99, which is that Bangladesh weren't thought to be better than Scotland. Mm-hmm. They played Scotland a bunch. Scotland thought they were going to be the next test team, mm-hmm. right? Which is incredible being that they're still not a test team now. Uh, yeah. And Scotland has a really strong cricket background compared to some mm-hmm. other countries like Afghanistan who do not. And Scotland thought, okay, we're going to host Bangladesh at home. We'll beat Bangladesh. And then all we need to do is roll one other side and we'll have the ability to be able to push through. And uh, Bangladesh gets, uh, what, what did they make? Uh, 200 or something. It wasn't a massive 220 total. 220-odd, something like Are that. Are you talking about the Pakistan game or the Scotland Oh, yeah, Scotland not the game? Scotland game, sorry. Yeah, I can't, they, didn't get, they didn't get that much. Um, but Scotland are chasing it, and Gavin Hamilton is smashing the ball everywhere, and then he's at the non-striker's end when they need about 60 to win. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the ball is smashed back by the, uh, by the striker, uh, a bowler gets his finger on it, goes back mm. on the stumps and runs out Gavin Hamilton. So Bangladesh have already won their first World Cup game and no one really expected them to win any World Cup games, especially coming to England, right? Mm-hmm. Like Scotland, you know, thought they were better than Bangladesh, but also they certainly thought they were going to be better than them at the Grange, right? Yeah. And then that Pakistan game happens. And again, it, it's the, if you think about it, it's very similar to a lot of Bangladesh. Bangladesh wins. They don't make masses of runs, but mm-hmm. they give themselves enough. And then they just keep pressure on with that sort of defensive, relentless bowling that they have. Yeah. Um, you know, their team's a lot better now than it used to be, but more or less it's the same kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. It and, is the same um, brand of cricket, you could say. Yeah, exactly. And they lose and then it's huge, right? It, it's probably, 
because I think in 96, 99 is probably the first like kind of globally televised World Cup. Hmm. It might be 92 as well, but 92 is a bit more weird and Channel 9 filmed 92 in a, in a random way and, you know, all sorts of things were going on in that tournament. 99 is kind of the first one that is kind of global in the fact that cable TV is quite big, so people around the world are watching it. Mm-hmm. That is a game that is watched by a lot of people around the world, casual fans and everything else. And I think it also makes the most noise. The internet exists by then. All those sorts of things happen. And Bangladesh leapfrog Scotland and Bangladesh become a test nation straight away. And think about what we've just said about Kenya. Kenya won in 96 and two games in 2003 and didn't get test status. Bangladesh beat Scotland and then Pakistan and were given test status. So it does tell you that politics played a part and everything else. And also... I think there was a feeling, again, that Bangladesh had played test cricket, even if they'd been part of Pakistan and no Bangladeshi players were allowed to play and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, but they, I think there was a feeling that they were kind of part of it a little bit more. Um, although, to be fair, quite a few Scottish players have played for England in that time as well. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, so it's, a, it, it's, it's huge because, again, it changed. I, I think what the Bangladesh one shows is the changing of the political landscape of um, cricket in that mm. the Asian bloc was getting more and more powerful, so much so that they just went, yeah, we'll bring Bangladesh in. Mm. And Kenya and Scotland are like, what? What just happened? <laughs> how, did, how did this happen? And, of course, the big rumour always was that is that Pakistan were not perhaps playing to win that game. And mm-hmm. th- was it there? Was it was a macro afterwards who said, oh, it's great that our Bangladeshi brothers got to win this game? Something like that, yeah, he did. Um, and that is a big one in Pakistan, particularly. Like, even the final people say that about the final, but we'll probably need a separate podcast for all of that. Let's go to 2003. And we were speaking of Bangladesh. Well, they were defeated by Canada in a game. And uh, mm. I mean, you could still argue that Bangladesh weren't a really, really good team at that point, but Canada were no one, right? So it's still a big upset. Yeah. So Canada are in the. Um... Uh, was it 1979 yes, World Cup? Yes, it was 79. Yeah. So they they were thought to be a pretty decent side. There was a movement. I, I don't know if you know this. Uh, I don't know how many Pakistani fans know this, but there's always been, you're going to be shocked here, politics mm. within who gets test status and who doesn't. And when, when Pakistan um, became a nation, and obviously it was going to be hard to not give them test status, right? Yeah. Um, as in it was such a big percentage of India, plus there were actual test players there. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like Bangladesh. It was a very different situation. And there was a big movement, of course, to give punk, uh, uh, Pakistan test status. And mm-hmm. at the time, there was another smaller movement saying, well, if we give it to Pakistan, we should give it to Canada. Ah. Right? So 19... 50s, 60s, 70s, Canada is a team, which is why um, they end up qualifying for the 79 World Cup. They shouldn't have. should have been Denmark, but that's a mm-hmm. whole whole different story probably. Um, and what's fascinating about the Canada of 2003 story is if I said to you what was the biggest thing about Canada in 2003 World Cup, what, would you, what do you remember? John Davison. Was it? That is the correct and only answer, right? <laughs> Uh, he breaks the record for the h- fastest hundred in yeah. uh, World Cup game. Ooh. Oh, there it is. The thumbs up. Yep. <laughs> um, that's it, basically when John Davison was batting, it was fireworks is what I'm saying. <laughs> and um, it was incredible. And I think maybe even the more interesting innings was the West Indies one where he went ballistic against the West Indies as well. Mm-hmm. But that's what everyone remembers. Do, do you know what John Davison made against Bangladesh? Do you remember? Not a lot. 
No, he makes eight. Yeah. He didn't, and, and he was eight or 14. He wasn't even going <laughs> anywhere, right? Um, and they make 180. And I'm just trying to remember who made the runs for them in that game. Uh, oh, just having a look here. Uh, Ian Billcliffe, Ishwa, um, and Desmond Chumney. So not cricketers I'm massively aware of. And then defending 180, um, uh, uh, Austin Codrington uh, mm. takes a five-wicket haul. And they just, again, I think they got off to a good start in that game, Bangladesh, and then Canada were just all over them. Like they got one wicket and they just, it was one of those things where for a while they would just chip in with a wicket and then there was a collapse, I reckon around maybe five, six, seven or six, mm. eight, seven, nine. Um, and they suddenly lost heaps of wickets. It wasn't a great um, uh, Bangladesh team. Habibul Bashar played, mm-hmm. uh, Mashrafi uh, played. He must have been about what, four at the time? There was Ashraful, uh, Rif- I think. Hey. Or was he not there? Ashraful was around back then? I thought he was at that World Cup, but I don't think he played in that game. Rajan Saleh was their opener. I remember Rajan Saleh. Um, Alok Kapali, maybe? He might be around. You say Yes, he definitely would have played. Hmm. He definitely would have played. So, yes, yeah, so, um, Codrington, Austin Codrington um, uh, uh, takes the wickets and... Um, I think he was a Jamaican player who might have been, I, I want to say he might have been raised in Canada. There's or maybe a he moved huge Caribbean cricket community in Canada, by the way. Like, well, as you would know. Yeah, it's yeah. them and the subcontinent people, and that's that. <laughs> but the thing I remember about Codrington is that he didn't actually play that much cricket. Like, 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 it wasn't like he was playing a lot of West Indian cricket or anything like that. Um, I'm just having a look now. He's got nine ODIs, four first, first class games, um, and 24 List A games. So he's won Canada a game, um, and they won the opening game in that World Cup. But they were actually more famous for the stuff that went on afterwards because Bangladesh. There was actually you might remember this. There was a lot of blowback about Bangladesh getting that test status, right? Yes, like lots. people didn't think, especially anyone who knew about the other teams, anyone who knew about Kenya hmm. and Scotland, um, were a little bit like, how has this happened? You know, Netherlands were a good team at that time. Maybe Denmark had, had slipped back a little it bit. It was but there were some highlighted even more so when Bangladesh actually played test cricket and then they had that whole thing with appealing and yeah, there was lots of drama. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, so it was incredible that Canada beat them. And then, but then John Davison goes absolutely nuts. So that was certainly, I think, the World Cup of Canada. Um, that was a, it was, a, you know, them in Kenya really, for me, like I traveled to that World Cup. So it's a very special World Cup for me. I backpacked around it and everything. But for me, it was, there were so many great little storylines, like the, you know, the, um, uh, the black armband uh, mm-hmm. part of it. Uh, you know, all these little, you know, that, South Africa going home, Kuma sledging, mm-hmm. um, you know, things just kept happening. You know, probably two of the best teams that have ever been in a final against each other. Yeah. Um, you know, like, you know, the runner-up, was really, even Sri Lanka was really good um, mm-hmm. at that time. I, th- I thought Sri Lanka played well against Australia in the semifinal as well, even if never go. Gilly walks in the semifinal. Mm-hmm. It was, there's a lot of little things. And, you know, I think 92 is remembered as kind of the World Cup. But I think, um, 99 and 2003 have some really, really interesting parts of them. And as we've already said, you know, just Sri Lanka on their own in 96 really drags that one forward as well. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? 
Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Yeah, 2003 I've completely blocked out because I was a very young avid fan and Pakistan did a Pakistan. Uh but at least Canada won a game but they weren't my country back then so that happened later. Anyway, let's go to 2011. It was Ireland. Once again it was Ireland with an upset and this time uh, Kevin O'Brien went absolutely rampant versus England. In fact, he had the fastest World Cup century up until recently. My Aidan Markram broke his record and uh, yeah, Ireland even go on to beat the West Indies in 2015 and that is a shame really that we haven't seen them since right because ireland were becoming a really really interesting world cup team and then now only 10 teams play the world cup so yeah all of those upsets for nothing yeah i i mean i suppose it got them test status but god they had yeah. to win games at three straight world cups didn't they and they um, play what two tests in two years something yeah. like that i would now say by the time Yeah, by the time they beat West Indies in 2015, I didn't think that was an upset. I don't know what yeah. you thought of that. I don't um, think so either and I don't think Bangladesh defeating England in 2015 was an upset either. No, I think Bangladesh were a better team. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't even think I don't not even I wouldn't have even had that on my board. Mm. Um uh no, no, I look the tw- 2011 game is remarkable, right? Mm. Like just it would be remarkable if a proper like test playing nation had done that. Yeah. You know, come back from that position. Uh England were in some incredible games. Didn't they have a tie with India in that yeah, tournament Andrew as well? Yeah, Strauss was in form. They tied with India. They looked quite decent even though they lost that game, but uh they were having a good yeah. World Cup, a decent World Cup. Do you, do you want to know my my favorite story about this is I'm pretty sure I'm going to get this right. I think it was Ed Joyce talking to Niall O'Brien. Mm. So they were out in the field and uh, a ball had gone out and Kevin O'Brien had fumbled it badly and gone for four or gone through his legs or something and he was really grumpy and um uh uh Ed Joyce sort of turned to Nile and Brian as they look at him probably get 100 today now <laughs> and they were they obviously they collapsed i don't I can't remember were they five for 70 or five for 100 or you know that they, they, they really were, collapsed yeah yeah five for not many yeah and um Gary Wilson and I want to say Niall O'Brien were in the change room and you know getting changed together and taking their time because they're thinking they they thought it was a good pitch and they thought they could actually put some pressure on England, right? And you know they're going about this game and and they're frustrated and, and they just keep hitting cheers in the background. Hmm. And then eventually they go out on the balcony and they and they just like they can't believe what they are seeing. So Five when you're on for team, 111 by the way and Gary Wilson did get out. So it was Uh, Kevin O'Brien and Alex Kusak. Yeah. And then John I think John Mooney came in at the end. Is that right? He took a right? four for as well and then yeah, he did come in the end and scored 33 yeah. of 30. So, had a great yeah. game, John Mooney. And um 
uh, you know, they they couldn't believe what they were watching. Hmm. And you remember, they've beaten Pakistan by this stage. They're fairly well known. They've got a lot of professional cricketers within their ranks. This, I think, that's the what that's the one big difference from 07 to 11, mm-hmm. which is in 07, they don't have cricketers, you know, uh, who are, are of that quality. But by 11, those guys have played counter cricket. Uh, they're really well, you know, um, travelled by that point. Island cricket have played a lot of cricket. I think in 2007, and I'll always get this wrong, <laughs> but they shared their office with a sport, I think it was windsurfing okay, or something, right? <laughs> and that windsurfing department had way more professionals than Cricket Island did. Cricket Island was a CEO and assistant. Mm. I think they were the only two permanent uh, paid people. By 2011, Things are starting to happen, right? Um, and things are starting to move forward. And they've got a plan and a strategy, a lot of which has come true for them as well. Um, and so, th- uh, you know, that one is huge. But again, like they beat Pakistan and then they beat England and they still can't get test status, which just tells you how stupid cricket was at that stage. It was yeah. so random. Like so many of these teams did get test status by winning one game and then others don't. Mm. Um, you know, I, look, I think we've talked about pretty much all of them. Yeah. Um, except for one. Oh, which is missed one. Yeah, 1992. Mm-hmm. Who are we talking about over if here? If I said a chicken farmer to you, what uh-huh. would your answer be? If you said a chicken farmer or sent If I said chicken farmer, does that mean anything to you, chicken farmer? No, I can't think of it. All right, I want you to get on your little Google machine mm-hmm. and I want you to look up Zimbabwe, England, 1992. You look up, was it Ballarat? Is that what they played or Aubrey? I think it was Aubrey. Um, they played in Aubrey, yeah. And yeah, Zimbabwe has defeated England, 1992. And these are this is the team that made the final, which is... This is the team who, outside of New Zealand, and uh, with New Zealand and Pakistan, those were the three best teams, right? Mm. Uh, it was in Aubrey, which is a regional part of... It's, I think it's a border town between Victoria and New South Wales. That's the New South Wales side. What, did you have like cow shit on the pitch in this one? Because 134 wow. all out Zimbabwe and then they defend that? How did I miss this? <laughs> there is a great clip of, I think it might be, is Chris Lewis playing that game or is it Phil DeFreitas? Phil DeFreitas. Phil DeFreitas opens the bowling because Chris Lewis comes into the side later on. Hmm. Uh, Phil DeFreitas opens the bowling and you'll see there uh, Andy Flower bowled DeFreitas. Hmm. And what, they show the footage from side on and it's like a length ball that just takes off. Right? <laughs> and like Flower just knocks it back onto his stumps. And so at halftime in that game, so Zimbabwe has been bowled out for 134. Jeffrey Boycott is so angry he's been dragged to fucking Albury, right, <laughs> which is like four hours, five hours from Melbourne, like probably six hours from Sydney, something ridiculous, right? No, hmm. it's like in the triangle between Adelaide, Sydney and, and um Melbourne, right? Hmm. No one wanted to go there. All due respect to Albury. It's a lovely part of the country, but it is what it is, right? It's in the middle of nowhere. And um, he's so pissed off after Zimbabwe get bowled out for 134 that he goes up to Houghton, who's the captain, who's now the coach, of course, of Hmm. Zimbabwe. And he starts having a go at him for how much his team has rolled over and how shit they were, right? Hmm. (laughs) And... They are they are pissed off, and I think when how many overs was it? Forty six. I know, and so they are really pissed off with themselves. And um, a guy called Edo Brandis goes out to open the bowling. Edo Brandis is a slightly larger gentleman would be a friendly <laughs> way of putting him. He's famous <laughs> Bayram for sledging. He was a uh-huh. really funny sledger. Everyone always thought in Zimbabwe cricket he was really good, but he kind of never brought it together. Do you know what I mean? He never had it, mm-hmm. but he was a 
I don't know, quite a big, strong sort of uh, bowler, you know, would hit a length, a, a, a little bit like a... A Dougie Maybe Bollinger? a more... And I was thinking Derek Pringle, but that might be a little mm. bit before your time. Um, no, I've seen Derek Pringle, right? Because I've seen 92 footage. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> Derek Pringle's probably more of a swing bowler. So uh, he looked like Derek Pringle, but he bowled more like Paul Rifle. Ah, okay. That, if that brings it together. You know, mm. hit, hit the pitch quite well, but big, big, strong guy. So he gets Graham Gooch first ball LBW. Right? Oh, is this like more like a Charles Langevelt kind of cricketer? Yeah, perhaps. Maybe that hmm. is. Maybe that's not a bad one as well. But, you know, big, thick Southern African dude comes hmm. in, gets Graham Gooch first ball. He then gets Ian Botham was the pinch hitter kind of. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, there was a few teams trying. Um, I think Lara opened. Obviously, Mark Greatbatch opened in that tournament as well. Hmm. So there's a few teams trying um, a middle order players as openers. Alan Lamb, who's kind of the star over a couple of World Cups um, for England. Um, uh, oh, sorry, he doesn't get both of them. I'm just looking at the scorecard now. Sorry, he gets Robin Smith and Alan Lamb. So the other, uh, the South African um, uh, players. And now Edo Brandis is all on top of England. They're uh, 42 for four, and he's mm. bowling to Graham Hick. How much do you know about Graham Hick? He had a brilliant 92 World Cup is what I know. And he also scored like, what, 480-odd in county cricket? I, I know about that. Where was he born? Zimbabwe. <laughs> so Graham Hick was the greatest player ever to come out of Zimbabwe. But of course, mm. when he came through in the early 80s, as we just discussed, yeah. they beat Australia, sure, but they were an amateur team, mm-hmm. right? And he was probably the best first-class player in the world during the 80s. Mm. Played in, in counter cricket, played in Zimbabwe, played in Australia, made runs everywhere. He even played right? in the 2000s. He played long. Oh, yeah, he played for a long time. He was a fantastic yeah. player. We never saw anywhere near the best of him in international cricket. He just mm. never could never handle international cricket. Is he uh, similar to Ram Prakash? Or do you think Hick was yeah, better than Ram I mean, Prakash? Yeah, I mean, yes. He was probably better when he was young than Ram Prakash was, and Ram mm. Prakash was better when he was old. But I think they both have 100 hundreds. I, I, Something I could like be wrong that, yeah. All right? There's those two county be, players who, who could never, you know, cut it. Yeah, yeah. Those definitely. were the two guys, right? Uh, just having a look. He, he, 20, uh, where are we? 41,000 first-class runs with 13600. Wow. Right? So he's Zimbabwean. And of course, he was, I think, childhood friends with Edo Brandis. Mm. And he's now out there playing for England against them, right? And this is a little bit like, you know, some of the, the situations that happened with, you know, the 2011 World Cup, of course, with England and Ireland and, and all those sorts of things. And Graham Hick is out there and Edo Brandis goes straight through him. I think he bowls him with a Yorker or a full ball um, early on. And so they're now uh, 43 for five. They have a bit of a comeback when Neil Fairbrother and Alex Stewart uh, makes a run. So uh, Neil Fairbrother makes 20 off 77 balls mm. and Alex Stewart makes 29 off 96 balls. Wow. Right? Like it is legitimately impossible to score out there. Uh, and you've got Malcolm Jarvis and Ali Shah. John Tracos is still um, playing. So remember, John Tracos played in the 60s in Test cricket <laughs> against Australia for South Africa. He's now in the 90s. Wow. And his figures are 10 overs, four maidens, none for 16. He's That's still crazy. kicking ass. Three, four decades on. Ridiculous. Anyway. I'm never forgetting John Tracos now. <laughs> uh, Egypt's finest cricketer. And. <laughs> And they go through them in the end. And I think England took it all the way to the death. So England needed 135. They were bowled out for 125 um, in the 50th over. Mm-hmm. And I think it's uh, Gladstone Small chips one to mid-wicket. And I've talked to um, 
uh, Zimbabwean players, they honestly still thought they were going to lose this game right to the end, right? <laughs> they, were, they were terrified for a long period of time. The same they were against Australia in that other game as well. Um, and they win, and that gets them test status. And then Zimbabwe have an incredible 90s, so much so that, as you just said, they win two games at the end of t- 1999, and we can't even really consider them upsets. They were just yeah. a good team. They defeated Pakistan in a test series in Pakistan, and the Flower Brothers went crazy. Zimbabwe had some good moments. They have a really, really good record versus India as well in that period. Wasn't that the Fog series? Yeah, it might have Isn't been. that when the third test, they didn't bowl a ball because there was fog every day? Mm-hmm. It was Dharamshala times, I don't know. A thousand. Yeah, a thousand. <laughs> but I think that they, wraps but, it up. Yeah, oh, so that, I mean, that's something. one of the great ones. And so Ed O'Brandes was a chicken farmer. Mm. And my biggest regret in my cricket collecting career is that for about four years, his pads from 1992 were on eBay and no one ever bought them. Uh-huh. And they're about 80 US. Okay. And I just thought it was a stupid thing to spend my money on, right? Mm. And my wife was like, look, if you want to get them, you get them. Like, <laughs> I know they mean something to you. And I never got them. And then one day they were finally bought. And I have regretted it every day since that I did not buy Edo Brandis's pads. What an absolute legend he was. And there you go. And that's, and that's the spirit. Asif Kareem, we're still talking about him, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, all these guys, Colin Zaboya. Like, I bring up Colin Zaboya more than any human being should. Mm-hmm. Kevin O'Brien. Kevin O'Brien has, what, three incredible innings in his career. And yet, we talk about him over and over again, right? These guys who did these things, John Davison, you know, mm. all those sorts of people, they're just so important. And even if they are not the, re- you know, even if in John Davison's case, Canada cricket hasn't kicked on, mm. right? This And Kenya cricket, exactly the same. Sometimes the teams did kick on, but also they are part of the World Cup. And it's one reason I was always frustrated when we were making the World Cup smaller and smaller, mm-hmm. because for me, the occasional upset is as important as the winner of the tournament. And I think in the history of cricket, I'll be proved right eventually because the World Cup's been so important to the growth of our game. Um, And, you know, if you could have, you know, a Duncan Fletcher performance, um, Mm. you know, or Martin Suji performance and all these sorts of things, it doesn't matter if those names live on forever, but it does matter that for that moment we had a huge upset and all of us talked about it. And I think it is as much a part of World Cup cricket as anything else is. Yeah, I concur. And I mean, we've nearly talked about all of this for an hour. So I think that's a good time to end all of this. Quickly then, uh, we've already spoken about Ireland versus Pakistan being arguably the greatest out of all of these upsets or the, the biggest one. Which one's your favourite? I th- Probably, <laughs> it's probably Kenya West Indies. Mm-hmm. Um, There's a lot of Asif Kareem bias over here, obviously. I can I, see right I, through it. <laughs> I, he, no, just I think it's the West Indies nature of it, right? Like there's mm. something about the West Indies losing that game. Um, if I let's, I'll quickly try and power rank them. I probably, if it was me, I probably have Kenya, Kenya West Indies, England, uh, uh, Ireland, um, uh, Pakistan. Mm. Then I would probably have Sri Lanka um in in 79 so those would probably be the three ones mm-hmm. and then maybe the chicken farmer at number four or, or maybe it might even be the 83 one. Oh, just on zimbabwe by the way i think they lost to new zealand by three runs in 1987 by the way so yeah. they almost did it they almost had three hmm. uh upsets in three straight world cups against three different opponents and <laughs> I, I know that's this disra- derailing it and you want to end this podcast because we're both exhausted and i've now <laughs> been podcasting for four hours but i'm just saying zimbabwe cricket history is absolutely fascinating 
Yeah, and uh, if anyone or the person who actually bought Edo Brandes' pads off eBay, if you're listening to this, tell us how much they're worth. We'll buy them off of you. But anyway, that wraps up this episode and we'll be back next week with episode 24 of the Footmarks podcast. Hope you enjoyed this one. And yeah, to everyone who listened in, let us know what your favorite World Cup upset is or World Cup set is. That'll be all for today. We'll see you again soon. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon, where there are many other extras as well, including a Discord channel. There's a link to those in the show notes. Please review, subscribe, and tell all your friends about our show. Word of mouth is the best way of making our podcast grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes. Please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Barat Sundaresan and Bayram Kazi. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston. Each episode is produced by Ishit Kuberka at Sound Potion Studio. The team from 42 help us out with the video side. Orijoti Saina Payu and Maida Akam, both producing podcasts, while Mukunda Bandredi is the head of our YouTube content. Social media nightmares keeping you up after you turn out 25 minutes of gold on your podcast? It's time to wake up to Memento FM. They find the best designs for your posts, transforming your videos and podcasts into great social media posts. Join Memento FM today.